With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for October 27th, the Moms with Her edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm the dad of Harper, who's nine, and Lyra, who's 11, and I'm an editor at Slate. I'm Allison Benedict. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I'm the mom of Harry, who is now eight. Happy birthday, Harry. Sam. Happy birthday, Harry. Yay. Sam, five, and Wally, three. Hi. Hi, Allison. All right. So on today's show, we will talk about the American Academy of Pediatrics' new recommendations on screen time with uh, screens expert Lisa Guernsey. Then we will talk to a cavalcade of moms of girls about how they're feeling about the <clears throat> coming Hillary Clinton presidency and how they're talking about it with their daughters. Plus, recommendations, triumphs and fails, a listener call from a divorced parent trying to figure out how far she can move away. And in our plus segment, we'll talk to L.V. Anderson of Slate's normal blog about what is the normal age to stop trick-or-treating. But before we get to the show, Allison, do you have your children's Halloween costumes yet this year? Uh, yes, I do. Um, one of them may be changing. Are they all ninjas again? No. No. Oh, wow. Good memory. Oh, no, it's not a good memory. You went and listened to our old Halloween show to decide if we should do another Halloween show. Don't give show. away my secrets. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, would, are you asking me because you want to know what they're going to be? You're I do want to know. know what they're going to be. Wally's going to be a skeleton, just one of those kind of like unitard skeleton costumes. Yeah. Sam... Now wants to be Harry Potter, but when we were at the store, wanted to be some kind of like commando, which I really did not want to let him do, actually, but gave in and got that costume. So if he really ultimately wants to change to Harry Potter, I'd feel okay about that. And then the big thing in our house, because the big thing is always about Harry in our house, is Harry wanted to be a poop emoji, and John and I were kind of like, eh, I don't know. Anyway, he prevailed. He's a he's a yeah. smiling poop emoji. Um, I'm not sure if we should let him wear the poop emoji costume to his school parade. What do you think? You should absolutely let him wear that poop emoji to his school parade. He will be a huge hit. But you don't think that will be like frowned upon at the school? Uh, no, 100% of those teachers use the poop emojis every day when sending texts about your children. So I think it'll I mean, be everybody poops, but. Right. That's yeah. true. How about your kids? Uh, it's. Uh, Lyra is going to be an artist, uh, with a beret and a smock and a bad attitude, I assume. Uh, and Harper wants to be a devil, which, uh, I'm very excited about. She just got a little devil costume and she promises that though she'll be dressed as a devil, she will still actually behave well on Halloween. And you will dress up. I know you dress up. Uh, Just like John every year, I will be dressing up as a middle-aged dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have any good. I was thinking, you know. David S. Pumpkins, but then all those suits sold out. Okay, Dan, will you post pictures of your family's Halloween getup uh, on our Facebook page? Oh, definitely. Page? Great. I okay. want to see Harry Potter, Commando Harry Potter on your on our Facebook I page. I vow well. to do the same. If you want to see these photos, well, I guess if you want to see these photos, you actually don't have to like our Facebook page. You can just go to our Facebook page. But come on, like it when you're there, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. We've actually been trying to make the page a bit more active. 
I, for instance, posted a photo of the gift bags that I ultimately caved and purchased for Harry's birthday party after claiming my not buying gift bags for Harry's party as a triumph in the last episode. <laughs> um, it's not you can have it. But both you turned it into a social media triumph. Right. <laughs> it got many likes. Uh, we've also posted some recent pieces from Slate and elsewhere that we've loved or have been moved by, and we'll continue to do that. So, uh, you know, we'd like to make that space more of a community for everybody, including us, including you. Um, and your help, your part in helping us do that is to like the page and comment if and when you feel like commenting. So facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. All right. Time for triumphs and fails. I will start. Uh, I have a fail this week, but I'm going to argue that it's actually a triumph. Here we go. So one of my household duties uh, is that I am the person in our family in charge of paying bills. That is something that has been delineated to me. Last week, uh, we got a collections notice in the mail, which is not a good thing to get in the mail if you are the person in charge of paying bills. In fact, it is the third collections notice we've gotten this year, I think. Now, we are not running out of money uh, generally, I'm very on it. Allison, you do not need to like money mind me, but there's one exception. Our family simply cannot handle library books. <gasps> I don't know what the hell is wrong with <laughs> us. We take out a bunch of books from the Arlington Public Library on Alia's card, and we have a special place we put them so we don't lose them, but then we just fucking forget to return them or like one gets lost in the masses of books in the house or it goes in the car in a big bag that I'm supposed to return, but then I forget to return it. Or sometimes I returned school library books to the regular library and regular library books to the school library. And then there are these fines. And then we don't know about the fines until we go to the library and try to take more books out. And then they tell us we can't. So then we have to use my library card instead of Alia's library card and pay the fines. Or sometimes we forget again. And then they call the collections agencies on us. So we're not exactly modeling great civic behavior to our kids, but are, we apparently have some kind of family mental block about library books, and we have an inability to keep track of them or return them or use them properly. Uh, how is this a triumph? But here's how it's a triumph. Our family has donated $163.04 to the Arlington Public Library this year alone. That's a huge donation. We're probably single-handedly keeping that library open. And they You think they're have, marking up just, their books? It's just free money. You think they're marking it's free up their money. books? <laughs> um, no, no. I mean, we eventually return everything, usually, so they're oh, not even buying new books. These are just pure library fines. Uh, uh, so really... They, they probably paid – that's like a day's worth of librarian salary. That's a bunch of brand-new books they could have bought. We're supporting the Arlington County Public Library at a level that I bet 99.9% of Arlingtonians are not. We're putting our money where our mouth is and making our love of libraries a tangible reality. So thank you, Coyce family, for all that you do in making libraries valuable to the city of Arlington. That was amazing. Allison, how about you? Uh, I The reason I gasped when you said that the collections uh, agency bill was coming because of your overdue library fines was not because I was so outraged at your ability to pay up, but because, guess what? <laughs> guess who <laughs> else? Guess who recently <laughs> got a library card, finally, for her family? <laughs> and then the first time she got out books, uh, an autobiography of LeBron, I can't remember what else, 
uh, also never returned them and also got billed for them. Uh, but I mean, they just uh, they didn't have to send like they have our credit card information. Arlington Public Library needs to step it up because the Maplewood they Public really Library do. has our credit card information. And after like five emails to me just like charged us, which is exactly what I wanted them to do, you know, because I didn't want to have to face those emails anymore and couldn't face going there after the fifth <laughs> notice to return them. I would rather just pay for them. Um, so, yes, I don't know what the block is for me either. But, um, yeah, I'm, glad I, I'm not going to try to turn that into a triumph, however. Um, uh, well, I guess you haven't paid enough fines for it to be a triumph yet. So I have a big fail, and I'm actually surprised I haven't talked about it on this show yet, but um, maybe because I've been embarrassed about it. Not embarrassed, but so Wally, who is three and a half um, and is really, really good at Subway Surf, Subway Surfer, what is it called? He's like really good at video games. He's like basically seems like he's much older than he is. Anyway, he still isn't potty trained. Like he's not even close to being potty trained. Mm-hmm. Um, like not, you know, maybe pees on the potty before baths every couple of days, but, like, has never told us he needs to go. Um, we never really trained the other boys. Like, I maybe I'm rewriting history, but I really think they just kind of figured it out themselves with, like, some help from their preschool teachers, and I'm sure, like, we presented opportunities for them to go. But I think we just thought Wally would figure it out like that, too, um, and he hasn't. And so then we, like, tried for a while doing, like, the regular things of, like, offering M&Ms or... You know, um, just asking him if he needed to use the potty, all the regulars. And he was really resistant and, like, freaked out by the whole thing. He, like, sobbed whenever we managed to get him on the potty and would scream that he wanted to be in his diaper. So we decided, like, okay, we should take his signals and lay off for a while, which we did. And then we just, like, never laid back on. Uh, Right. Who would want to lay back on when you know what lies ahead? (laughs) Right. So for months, we've barely tried. Um, and the worst part about this this is coming, this is going to be a little graphic. Uh, uh, the (laughs) the worst part about this is that he now, he tries to hold in his poop, which results in him like letting tiny bits out maybe like 20 times a day. Uh, so we're changing his diaper constantly, which makes us really frustrated. And his tush is super raw and the whole thing has become kind of traumatic. Uh, and we've taken him to two different doctors. I thought maybe he needed a laxative or maybe there was something wrong medically. But the last doctor who we saw, who was wonderful, assured us that it was all mental and it was like probably about control. Uh, and now we're like, I don't know, we're at the point where we should probably do one of those like intense boot camp things where you strip your kid naked and never leave the house for days. But it's so hard to do that when you have two other kids and like a life. And I don't know, I just feel kind of lost and Still kind of assuming he'll just figure it out. But, I mean, he's getting to the point where we're going to Iceland with my family next summer, and I feel like my dad won't let us go if he's not potty trained. Uh, I can't believe that in the current scenario, Harry is just lording his poop emoji costume over his own dinner. (laughs) Uh, That is really hard. That's really hard. Um, I agree that you got to get it together before you go to Iceland. That's not going to be any fun at all. and yeah, I mean, the way it seems like the way to be able to do that boot camp thing is to just get everyone else out of the house, right? And like devote a weekend to it or a long weekend if you can and get John and the boys to go, you know, down to his mom's house or to head into the city or do something that gets them away so that Wally 
so that you don't have to like worry about everyone else. Or maybe it's you who takes the other boys away and John stays in with Wally. But either way, (laughs) um, you guys can like rock, paper, scissors for that. But, uh, but it seemed, but I, I just wouldn't be surprised at all. And I'm sure this has crossed your mind at all that, that having those two bigger boys there, not only is a distraction would be a distraction from what you want to try and accomplish, but also surely as part of some of the things that worry Wally, right? That, that I have to imagine that there's some aspect of him that connects the thing he is trying to learn with like his semi-exalted place as the baby in this house who is taken care of. And the, the reminder of these bigger boys there who already do this thing that he doesn't want to do anyway. And who now have are just like normal big boys and not the special baby of the house. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that has something to do with his block. And so getting them away and just being able to focus on him and devote the kind of time and attention that takes often to get a kid to learn to do anything uh, would really benefit. But I agree that it's really hard. If any listeners have actually, I mean, I know lots of listeners have struggled with potty training. I realize this isn't unique, but like this specific thing that I'm describing, the like holding it and that whole deal. If you've experienced that, email me because I could really, I could really um, use some, some advice for that. All right. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Late last week, the American Academy of Pediatrics updated its screen time guidelines, abandoning its long-held ban on screen time for children under two and suggesting that children between the ages of two and five should watch only one hour of screens a day. They also got specific about what kind of screen time is okay. Unsurprisingly, though still dismaying to many parents, including this one, the AAP recommends shared media moments, meaning using an iPad like a babysitter is not considered ideal. Here to talk about this. (laughs) Sorry, Dan. Here to talk about this shift and the history, science, and controversy behind it is Lisa Guernsey, the Deputy Director of Education Policy and Director of the Learning Technologies Project at New America. Hey there. So lay out for our... to you guys. We're so happy to have you. Uh, So lay out for our listeners exactly what's new in the updated guidelines. So this time the AAP put a lot more emphasis on the content that children are viewing, even at quite young ages. And also made some really good overtures to understanding the context in which children are using different kinds of media. So one big distinction that jumped right out at me was video chat versus just looking at or playing with an app. And I think as parents, we know that's really a different experience. There's a real person on the other end of that, and you're having a real conversation. But for a long time, uh, many people who looked at the AAP's guidelines saw no distinction in what what they were saying there and really questioned how uh, one could say that children should be kind of kept away from a grandmother or aunt or uncle who might be really trying to, to talk to them through video chat. Right. They didn't used to differentiate between that at all. So there's no difference between like putting your kid in front of Game of Thrones and video chatting with grandma. <laughs> so the takeaway, I mean, the headlines from this were all about the under two ban being lifted. But do you do you think that's the, the most important shift here or... Or not? It's one of them. There are uh, several other pieces, though, and in in places it still gets a little confusing. I will say that overall, 
um, the the larger shift towards recognizing that there are different types of screen media use and that some of them may actually really have, really have benefit um, is an important one to recognize. There are some really interesting pieces um, around 18-month-olds and recognizing some new studies on how children, even at those very young ages, even 15 months in, in one case, um, have been able to pick up words, understand concepts through the use of screen media, and um, in many cases, it's with, of course, with a, a parent there, but some of them are describing solo use as well. Um, and then for older children, and actually really across the board, but they, they do a lot of emphasis in the uh, older ch- children document, they, they talk about a family media plan and putting together uh, a family media plan and really talking with your kids in much more depth about how they're going to use different tools and devices and at what times of the day. Um, And for some families, I think it's going to sound like way too much (laughs) and overkill. Um, But for others, it at least like helps you sort out some questions you might want to be asking yourselves and, um, and maybe even starts new conversations between spouses about what is a good way to navigate these uh, rules in the household. One thing that really struck me in your piece about this was this quote from someone at the AAP who was like, well, we, you know, we don't want to over-encourage over-involved parents, but I think many parents view things like this as just a way of uh, of making it even harder to figure out how to deal with their kids and screens because it requires active participation theoretically in every single thing your kids do. If your kid gets an app, you should play the app first. If your kid is watching a show, you should watch the show with them. That is tough. That is a tough thing to navigate. For a parent who doesn't have the ability or the willingness to participate to that extent, what is like a good starting point or a good way for a parent to start thinking about changing the way they they look at the way their kids use, use screens? I think it's such a good question because parents really don't have the kind of time to go as deep as the AAP may want us to. And this is where um, I think we're now um, on the cusp of some some new thinking about who parents can turn to for guidance, um, because they really are going to need to turn to some folks other than putting it all on themselves. Like, oh, I'm going to have to test every single app, and I'm going to need to like uh, watch every single movement that my child makes. Um, and and even the one of the lead authors, um, Dr. Jenny Rudesky, she she pointed out she's like, she doesn't really want parents hovering over their kids at every every second. Right. So one of the um, things that the AAP did not address fully that I think needs a lot more unpacking is they stated in their press release that now it's time for parents to be media mentors for their children. I would suggest that now it's time to really start recognizing that librarians and educators and family support liaisons really need to start being media mentors to families. And that takes some of the burden off of parents of having to be everything and having to understand every nook and cranny of what's going on in the app marketplace or every single show that's going to appear across their their television. Set. That's really interesting. Librarians have always sort of been that right for books and families, for families that don't necessarily have the time to check it or think of every book before their kid does. Librarians have always played that role. For those, it's interesting to think of them as media mentors as well for families. And they want to play that role. There's actually a growing cadre of uh, children's librarians who have adopted that phrase and are really, that's what they're calling themselves now. Media mentors, really, I mean, it sounds like a great business opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking Too bad of. I have zero interest in being that. 
<laughs> no, but re- okay. So speaking of money, uh, the fir- I first read about these new rules on Facebook when someone in some post, I mean, in some group posted outraged about the AAP caving to the media companies who produce children's programming. And that's why they changed these rules. Is there any truth to that claim? Not that I've seen. There has certainly been a strong effort on the part of researchers to highlight and and put in front of the AAP that, hey, there's a decade of research now on how children are using different kinds of media and and the types that are designed for learning. And a lot of those, yes, are from like WGBH up in Boston um, with some science apps, for example, or certainly, you know, the longstanding um, series of research that comes out of Sesame Workshop, several of the studies that are coming out of PBS through the U.S. Department of Education's grants. Those are studies and they're often you know, peer-reviewed studies that are showing that when designed well, certain materials can really help kids to understand concepts, learn new words, problem solve, et cetera. So there has been an effort to put some of those new findings in front of the pediatricians um, and the researchers who are creating these kinds of policy statements. And I, I personally think it's a, it's a good thing that they're looking at that research in tandem with the research on obesity, the research on sleep and sleep problems in kids, the, the research that shows children really do still need hands-on interactions. They really need back-and-forth conversation. So let's put it all together and take a look at it um, comprehensively. So you do a really nice job in the piece talking a bit about the history of these guidelines, uh, which I think you said started sort of when uh, baby Einstein became a thing in the 90s. Um, Yes. How, like, who cares kind of? How does what the AAP says and and the shifts in its guidelines filter out to just like regular parents? Like, does it matter? Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. They they have a lot of power. And I I started to see this myself when I was doing research on this subject back when my, my kids were one and three years old. And I was getting the baby Einstein DVDs as gifts and just kind of curious and wondering, wait, am I supposed to use? Wait, what's going on? Who says these things are good? Who says they're bad? What if I don't use them and my kid doesn't turn out to be Einstein? Anyway. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to ruin my kid by not putting them in front of this. No. So um, so at the time, there were not that many voices in this arena trying to make sense of the research and whether these Baby Einstein DVDs or any other kind of two-dimensional video experience made sense to, to kids. And the American Academy of Pediatrics was the only voice out there, really. I mean, 1999, they came out with their first recommendation that said, we discourage the use of – they didn't even, I think, call them screens back then. It was it was TV and video with children under the age of two. Um, and they were basing that on good science, um, incomplete science, but good science on how much children need social interaction. What they missed was that, oh, maybe babies, toddlers, preschoolers may still be able to have some social interaction while watching. Um, and, and that was where – things kind of exploded and a lot of the new conversations started. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa. Lisa Guernsey is Deputy Director of Education Policy and Director of the Learning Technologies Project at New America. We're going to post a link to her piece on Slate, The Beginning of the End of the Screen Time Wars, plus links to her books, which you should also definitely check out. Uh, the latest one is Tap, Click, Read, which she wrote with Michael H. Levine, and her previous book is called Screen Time. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you guys so much. It's fun to be here. Okay, let's move on to our listener call. Every episode, we do our damnedest to answer a question from you, our listeners, about parenting, about life, about 
love, or, well, it's usually about parenting. All right. So if you have a question you want us to answer, give us a call. It's 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE, which is what the AAP is being by telling me I can't use screens as babysitters. Our question today is from Sarah. Take it away, Sarah. Hi, Dan and Allison. This is Sarah, uh, mother of uh, two kids, four and six. I'm an expat in Asia. Uh, my husband and I are in the middle of a divorce. That's fairly unpleasant, obviously. And um, he's an excellent father when he sees his children, which is almost never. But I'm pretty miserable here. I can't get a job. And my question for you is... Um, at what point would you think it was okay to take your kids thousands of miles away from their father? Um, my ex is a terrible husband, but again, not a bad father. It's a fairly distant one. And um, I'm really struggling because I would love to to leave this country, but I'm worried about taking my kids away. I'd love to hear your opinion. Thank you very much. Sarah, that is a tough, tough, tough question. Look, the... The bottom line is if you can't find a job in the place where you live and you cannot feed your children food that you buy with money that you get from a job, you probably have to leave. That said, um, I think that this is the kind of case where it feels like a parent should probably go above and beyond the normal call of duty in finding ways to stay in the place that he or she is in order to maintain some kind of relationship between the kids and the other parent. And often that means a bunch of shitty decisions that you have to make. But but it really feels like this is a case where you may have to settle for the shittier thing than you would otherwise want to do. Allison, what do you think? I mean, I think that's my gut reaction as well. What, there's There's some information left out of this call. One is what your ex thinks about this, because that matters a lot, um, I think. And, uh, you know, possibly like support. I'm assuming if you're an expat in Asia that go and and if you're planning to move, I don't know if you're saying you want to go home where you have family around who can help you. And again, like what what Dan is talking about, whether it's financial help or emotional support, like, you know, that those are all good things to have. Um, But I think in the end, yeah, like anything you can do to stay where your children can have as much of a relationship as is possible with their dad is like, is what you should do. There's one thing that I really noticed in this call that I wanted to point to um, that, that stuck out to me, which is Sarah, you mentioned twice that, that he doesn't see them that much, that he is a little bit distant. Um, I think my guess is that those are sort of the nascent beginnings of a case you are making for yourself of why it might be a better idea to go than to stay that while he's pretty distant, he doesn't see them that often. It wouldn't change his life that much. Uh, You may be totally right. It may be that if you ask him, he would be basically fine with it or would understand. But I would just like to propose the counter argument that that is the kind of parent that needs the most to have the chance to connect with those kids and would, and the kind of relationship that would suffer the most and the most immediately uh, in an absence that the kind of dad who maybe just has trouble connecting to those kids 
that is not as engaged as we would want him to be is also going to have a lot of trouble doing that from long distance. And so I just want to put forth the argument that that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't want them there. And that doesn't necessarily mean that taking them is something that is in his best interest or in the kid's best interest just because he seems distant. I have one last thing also. I don't think either of us are saying that you shouldn't move. You guys should just make, you guys should maybe, you know, if you need to leave, then maybe he needs to leave too. Like you guys should do as much as you can to keep yourselves within, you know, proximity for your children to be able to have both a mom and a dad in their regular lives. So maybe actually the fact that you can't find a job trumps whatever the reasons are um, that he has for wanting to stay. Uh, but this right. is like something the two of you, the two of you have equal say here. And it sounds like a very difficult <laughs> decision and not some someone has to sacrifice, right? There's no like compromise. Maybe there's a compromise. I don't know. Um, but like it's hard. I and mean, it also yeah. makes it harder that you're in the middle of the divorce, right? This is not the exact time where either of you probably are in the mood to compromise or to find common ground on this issue. But if there's any issue that you can find common ground on, I hope it's this one. Um, but Allison's right. If if you got to go, if you can't find work, if you can't be there, you can't be there. And you shouldn't sacrifice your health or your livelihood at the altar of giving this guy some time with his kids. But we're, I think, just both stressing if there's a way that you can find and if even if that means swallowing some shit to do it, you might have to do that. All right. Thank you, Sarah. That was a really good question, a really hard question. We hope our uh, our advice is helpful uh, and didn't just send you into a slough of despond. Uh, if you want to be sent into a slough of despond, give us a call, 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Moving on. All right, let's move on to our second segment. Okay, we are recording this on a Tuesday. So in the spirit of this insane fucking election, as the politics gab fest has had to be saying every episode, who knows what happens before we hit the air, but it seems like Hillary Clinton will be the next president of the United States. Am I allowed to say that yet? You know, ixnay, double jinx, I'm knocking on wood. For my generation and for people older than me, Hillary's election is a historic first, right? And for many moms, especially moms of girls, I think it must be particularly meaningful. How are the moms of daughters talking about this election and Hillary's likely presidency? How excited are they? Are they? How nervous are they? Do they feel the country is changing in a real way because of this? Or do they feel like it's just revealed the grossness that's been under a country all along? We wanted to ask them. So we called a bunch of them on the phone. Kate Spencer is a writer and an improv comedian in Los Angeles. She has two daughters, ages six and three and a half. They get it. I've told them that there have been no other women presidents and they're bewildered by that. And they're they really respond to her. They like seeing her on TV. They're excited about it. I'm, I'm sure they know I'm excited. And so they're just kind of picking up on that. But it has been really cool to kind of watch them be excited about it. You know, I think one thing that really devastates me is that I know what's coming for them. I honestly could start crying thinking about this. I know what the experience of being a woman is in our culture. And I just know inevitably someone is going to say something offensive to them or um, make them feel unsafe um, because of how, you know, what their uh, gender identity is. And so that really upsets me. I know they're not going to escape it. Even if we have a million women presidents after this, I I, I don't think Hillary Clinton is going to change 
the patriarchy as much as I wish she would, but I'm very emotional and, and tingly and excited and hopeful that, um, we are not just about to have the first female president, but Hillary Clinton is going to be our president. I, I really am very excited and a fan of Hillary. Let's just say that I wore my The Future is Female sweatshirt to drop my daughter off at kindergarten today, and when another mom complimented me on it, I, I got choked up. Tracy Bob Crooks is a freelance copywriter and producer. She lives in San Jose, California with her daughter. So what have you been telling your girl about Hillary Clinton, our probable future president? Having kids as young as mine, like my daughter's nine, my son's seven, you know, they're seeing all of this for the very first time, this whole democratic process. And they're watching this woman up there representing, you know, one of the major parties. And so this, this is kind of their normal, you know, the same way that Barack Obama is the only person they've ever known to be their president. So it's, that's normal to them, you know, in, in a way that kind of shatters some of the the barriers that are there, you know, those things don't even really compute fully because what they see to be in front of them shows them that, you know, why wouldn't I try to have any possible job out there because I'm a girl? You know, that doesn't even, that's not even on her radar anymore. Amy Lowen is an attorney with the city of Seattle. She and her wife have two daughters. Are they incredibly excited? Are you incredibly excited? How are you conveying your feelings to them? So we are so anxious and nervous and uh, tense all the time that we're trying very hard to convey our excitement. Um, and it's definitely pretty cool that our eight-year-old may well have her first 12 or 16 years with a, you know, knowing only a black man and hopefully a woman as president. Um, but we're pretty nervous, and, and they're pretty lacking any nuance. They see Hillary as smart and cool and Trump as the boogeyman, and uh, we're trying to add a, a little more nuance to it than that, but it's it's a tough one to, to add much nuance to. We try an extra bit to make sure that we're not demonizing Trump and not demonizing, you know, nasty men, if you will, or bad hombres. Um, I mean, there's also a little social pressure of I don't want anyone thinking about us raising our two girls as like man-hating girls, which we aren't and they aren't. But yeah, they're pretty into it. I mean, she's a nice little burgeoning feminist, so she's pretty excited. She's she's doing a presidential election at school, actually, and the two candidates are both girls. And so she's pretty excited about that. Catherine Trishman is a playwright in Hayes, Kansas. She has two daughters. Uh, and Catherine, uh, right there in the middle of the country, is part of a mixed family. Catherine often votes Democrat. Her husband is a Republican. So how has that been affecting the way that you guys are talking with your girls about Hillary? The dynamic at our house is, you know, when the girls have questions about how things work, I admit I'm usually like, oh, go ask your dad. Like someone's like, you know, how does like the balance of the three branches of government work? I say, go ask your dad. So I have to admit, he sort of is seen as the font of wisdom. And, you know, I mean, to his credit, he is, he does have facts at his fingertips. So my oldest child is very confused that her dad, who is so smart, who tells her, um, how the world works uh, doesn't agree with her mom about this woman president. Jennifer Musser is a tax accountant in Arlington, Virginia, and she's the mom of two girls ages 14 and 11. As someone who is not a Hillary lover, do you feel like you have some particular duty to hope for the best more than you might otherwise with the Democratic president because of your daughters, or do you think that, that w- that's the kind of betrayal of your beliefs that you don't, you're not interested in 
going after? What I would hope is the example that she sets as president, assuming she is president, would be one that I could point to the girls and say, see, this is what you should be doing. This is the kind of person that should be up there. That would be my goal. I mean, obviously, I would prefer a Republican. But on the other hand, if there's going to be a woman president, I would hope that that person would act and lead in a way that could make me proud them for them to be our president as well as a woman. I mean, not, those aren't exclusive or inclusive, but it would be really nice if what ends up happening is that, you know, everything goes well. So, you know, that's, that's what I'd really hope. And that's what I would hope I'd be able to say to my daughter is yes, you know, I, I don't agree with everything she does, but the way that she's leading the country is good. Woo. Okay. All right. So Dan, you are not the mother of two daughters, but you are the father of two daughters and you're allowed to have feelings about this election too. Thanks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for just like a couple of minutes. Right. Um, so how are your girls feeling and what are you talking to them about? And, and Alia, we are trying to convey maximum excitement about Hillary Clinton and, and about her qualifications and about the history that is being made. We are also conveying maximum distaste for Donald Trump and everything that he stands for. We are not trying to practice any false equivalencies in our in our house, we are being very clear how much we love one candidate and how much we dislike the other candidate. And uh, our kids are overall pretty excited. Like Lyra for a while, I think because of her naturally contrarian nature, um, had tried to find reasons not to like Hillary. But I think we've overcome them with pure enthusiasm. And I think they both also are still very like anti-boy. Uh, they're they're just not into boys. Boys are gross. Boys are annoying. And the notion of the most gross, annoying boy becoming president is intolerable to them. So they're very excited about really anyone besides that boy getting the highest office in the land. But you, Allison, are the mom of boys. Have you talked to your kids about Hillary and Trump and what Trump says about women? And how are you talking about it? We haven't talked um, in detail about what Trump says about women or the allegations against Trump. I mean, we've definitely had the like Trump is terrible to women, uh, but not like much more specific than that. But yeah, I mean, I have tried to uh, make them not make them excited about Hillary in particular, but I want them to understand how appalling it is that a woman has never been president. Right. And by understanding that, understand then why this is such a big deal. Uh, Listeners, we want to hear from you guys, too. If you are a mom of girls, we want to hear how you're talking to your kids about this upcoming election. Uh, If you're a parent of boys, we want to hear about how you're talking to them. If you know kids in your life uh, that aren't your own that you've been talking about the election with, talk to us about that. And all readers, if you're looking for the ultimate way uh, to turn your kids pro-Hillary and against Trump, uh, listener of the podcast. Chase Gibson has written into us to tell us that in his kids' school, uh, killer clowns have been replaced by terrifying stories of what Donald Trump will do if elected. These stories are apparently sweeping the school. The story sweeping the school right now is that if Donald Trump is elected, he will kill all the pets. So start spreading that around your kids' school and probably all your problems will be taken care of. All right, moving on to recommendations. Allison, what do you have for us this week? I've got two recommendations. They're not related. One, keeping with the theme of today's show, you guys should check out the Hillary Rodham Clinton Presidential Playset, a fold-out book by Caitlin Kuwald that came out last year. 
but I just saw it recently. It includes replicas of the Oval Office in the Situation Room, plus perforated paper dolls of Hillary and all of her political pals and adversaries. I actually don't have this book, but a friend of mine got it for her kids, and it looks really awesome. So I'm going to recommend it anyway. Uh, there's a perforated paper Ruth Bader Ginsburg doll. That's what I know. What about Sidney Blumenthal? <laughs> um, interestingly, there's also a Jeb Bush doll. So it's like a slightly out of date because Jeb Bush is it's not her adversi- adversary. But it's that's also like a nice historical <laughs> memento. Uh, my other recommendation is kind of sentimental. So the first date John and I ever went on was to play air hockey. I had been talking a big game in advance. Um, I happened to have been like really good at air hockey as a kid, or I thought that I was when we played in the basement <laughs> of the Jewish country club that my family belonged to, which cost less money than the public pool uh, where I live now <laughs> because I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Anyway, <laughs> I was really good back then, or I told him I was really bu- good back then, so he invited me to go play air hockey, and he crushed me. Uh, right, because he probably had an air hockey bar he went to every day. Probably. Uh, and he yeah. took such delight in crushing me, too. Oh, uh, and then that and that was the start of a beautiful relationship. And today is our 13th wedding anniversary. So in honor of that, I'm recommending tabletop air hockey. You, I'll post a link on our page with the one that Harry's cousins recently got for him for his birthday. But I'm sure there are several and they're not expensive. Uh, but they're really a lot of fun for the whole family. They're just like very they're oh. very small uh, and they're fun for even for adults. Though the tabletop ones really are made for kid hands. John and I had a a feisty game over the weekend, and I won. Uh, happy anniversary. Because tiny hands. It's just, I need That's it. right, because yeah. your tiny hands were finally an advantage. <laughs> uh, it's, that, is, that is a really great recommendation. That is a very sweet story. I'm glad that you have a, a game in your house that boys can beat girls at so they can feel better about losing the pregnancy. <laughs> Uh, All right. Here's my recommendation. This is not a movie that is specifically made for kids or teens, but I'm going to recommend it anyway uh, for a very specific reason. So uh, Moonlight, uh, filmed by Barry Jenkins, came out last weekend in New York, and it is going to be around the the country soon. If you haven't heard about it, you will soon. It will soon get a rave review in your local newspaper. Um, It is as great as you heard it is or as you will hear it is. And I would like to make the case that – Every 16-year-old in America should see this movie. So two-thirds of the movie, it's uh, broken up into two chapters. It's set in Miami uh, and tells the story of uh, a young boy named Sharon um, who starts uh, as like – he's maybe like 9 or 10. Then we see him as a teenager. Then we see him as a young adult. And he is black. He is growing up in a tough neighborhood in Miami. Um, in a tough situation. And he, the movie is about him coming to realize that he is gay, about his struggling with the visions of black masculinity that are put before him in his neighborhood and by society, and with him struggling to find love. Um, it's beautiful. It's really great. And for two-thirds of the movie, for the first two chapters, Sharon is a kid. First, he's that little boy. Then he's a teenager. Um, and I do think that this is a story that sensitive and smart teenagers would really, really connect to whether they are gay or not or not sure. Um, It's got some really important things to say about manhood and race and love. It is really beautiful and really romantic. And as uh, Dana Stevens put it in her Slate review, it lets its black male characters do things that most Hollywood movies don't let their black men do. It lets them grow and change and be vulnerable and be sad. It's really, really good. 
So you should see it before it gets nominated for Best Director. You should see it with your teenager. Uh, you won't be too embarrassed. It just has one very discreet hand job in it. That's all. Uh, but you will really love it. It's great. That's our show. We're at Facebook.com slash Mom and Dad are Fighting and Mom and Dad at Slate.com. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. See our whole roster of shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to our producers, Afim Shapiro and Zach Dinerstein. Thanks to the executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai, and to the big cheese of Panoply, Andy Bowers. Thanks to all of our plentiful guests, Lisa Guernsey, L.V. Anderson, Jen Musser, Catherine Churchman, Kate Spencer, Tracy Bob Crooks, and Amy Lowen. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.